the barren waste without the taste of water. Cool water. Old Ann and I with throats burned dry and souls that cry for water. Good evening. Welcome back to Movies Are Relevant, a film podcast. No X's, no O's, not Mr.'s Irrelevant, an NFL podcast. We're back in the studio talking movies today, films specifically, not just movies. You know, maybe we were talking about movies last episode with with the horror genre, but today we're talking serious film me, of course, and young spooky himself, Edesh Nam, across from me. Not literally, but across the internet from me. How's it going, Edesh Nam? What's the rumpus? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's your boy, young Central Arkansas misanthrope. Uh, here to talk about uh, what the people want us to talk about, which was the recent Mitski Fortnite run in uh, Brooklyn. I know everybody wants to talk about the voice of our generation. Uh, I'm here to give it to him. No, I mean, you're not as wrong as, as last Mr.'s Relevant episode when you thought it was going to be some type of Litterbox podcast, but but no, we're not doing this Mitski thing either. I'm so, I mean, maybe someday, like I, I might have said, you can do it someday, but no, today we're, we're talking Coen Brothers films, uh, young uh, Northern Arkansas misanthrope. Well, this is a real disappointment, uh, much like the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Ooh, getting, getting shots in early. Also, your your nickname today sounds like it could be a character in a Coen Brothers film, I would say. Arkansas Misanthrope or something like to that effect. Yeah, it was a call-out directly to the film, my guy. Oh, it was? What, uh... All right, well, that, that, make, that makes sense, though. <laughs> I thought you were just talking about your personality. Well, I mean, fair. Uh, no, like, right at the very beginning, when he's talking about his, like, various nicknames, he, he like, pulls out the one in poster, and he's like, Misanthrope. Oh, yes, I'm yes. mouthpiece for the Coen brothers themselves. But you... Okay, but you're talking about the character of Buster Scruggs in the film, but he, did, he didn't say anything about Arkansas, did he? No, I'm just from Arkansas. I'm not from San Saba. I'm reasonably confused then, because it wasn't like a direct quote from the film. I do remember what you're talking about now. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah, he says he's not really a misanthrope, which he's not really. I think that wasn't not an apt nickname for him based on the characterization I saw. No, he's a fucking psychopath. <laughs> yeah, so we we decided to do this uh, Movies Are Relevant episode about Coen Brothers films, because there's a lot of them, and they're like very, obviously, highly influential in American cinema for the past 30 to 35 years some of them are good yeah but it's based around uh their, their most recent film which was released on netflix the ballad of buster scruggs eric you've already basically uh lampshaded your opinion there you didn't like it i saw your your tweets about it anyway which didn't you didn't really explain on twitter that i saw why but that's good you got to save it for now well i didn't want to spoil it yeah what is your uh coen brothers knowledge have you seen their entire oeuvre or where do you stand on that? No, so I have not seen Barton Fink, um, Hudsucker, Miller's Crossing, and the only time that I saw Raising Arizona, I was a like literal child. But the rest of them, like I, I'm up with the shits. I, I saw the rest of their over as uh, as an adult, uh, and I'm ready to talk about it. You saw Blood Simple also then, the the first film. Oh God, no, Blood Simple I've not seen. All right, so basically you're pretty spotty on the first you know, 20% of their 
filmography. Yeah, anything they made before I was born. Anything they made before the first Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl that I remember, 1994. Which was the year Hudsucker Proxy came out. I have their whole filmography uh, in front of me right here. Aren't you special? Yes, <laughs> yes, I'm very special. I have the internet. Uh, you probably didn't pick up on what I said at the beginning to you. Uh, What's the rumpus is a quote that is repeated a lot throughout Miller's Crossing. Oh, no, never seen that. I know it's about Irish people. Kind, not really. I mean, I guess the main character is Irish. It's Gabriel Byrne, the actor. But it's not really about... Uh, well, actually, now no, I'm trying to think. I guess it is about Irish gangsters a little bit, but um, it's not in Ireland. I said people. Yeah. Well, I just don't think of that movie as being about Irish people, but uh, not like a serious man is about Jewish people, for example. Um, we're going to talk about that one in a little detail, too, I think, just to highlight what we're going to go through here, because we I just rewatched that today, and you, you just saw it for the first time recently, right, also? Right, right. Uh, in fact, I just watched it last night, if we want to play a little inside baseball, okay. because it was the only one in this last run of the, like, what is this, 13, 14 films um, that I hadn't already seen. Yeah, of their newer, of their, their stuff from the past 20 years, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so I will say off the top here, yeah, you got to watch Miller's Crossing, definitely. All these ones, Blood Simple, Rewatch Raising Arizona. Actually, I want to rewatch that one again soon. I haven't seen it in a while. But, yeah, of their earlier movies are some of their, I think, some of their best ones. Hudsucker Proxy, not not as much. And then most, they really uh, got on the map with Fargo, I think, which won, best, I believe, won the best screenplay of that year, um, 1996. I can find out right now. Yeah, if you looked that up. But I think that's, even if it didn't, I, I think that was kind of their biggest mainstream hit to that point. It's one of the more popular films of my lifetime. Yeah, and it's it, even since it's released, then, yeah, it's obviously stayed around. There's, there's a TV show based on it now, an anthology kind of TV show, which I enjoy also, even though I think the Coen brothers produce it, but they don't really do anything with it creatively, but kind of based on the ethos of Fargo and that film itself it it highlights a lot of what I think well what I like about the Coen Brothers movies and what makes them popular they kind of create their own world so sometimes it's more realistic than other times but Fargo is mostly realistic except for maybe one or two elements but the characters are kind of quirky or have, have little eccentricities and the way people speak and everything like that it's not really the way people generally speak in real life. I think that kind of categorizes them off the bat a little bit. What'd you find out about about it, though? If IMDb is to be trusted, Frances McDormand deservedly won Best Actress. That's right, that's right. Best that's Original right. Screenplay uh, and Best Picture. And then Bill Macy was at least nominated for Best Actor. I can't tell how they're... Oh, did it win Best... It won Best Picture. No, it was, you know what? No, my screen's just too bright. It was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, it won Best Screenplay. Okay, I was going to say, I don't remember it. And then Bill Macy and Joel Cohen were uh, nominated in their respective categories. Yeah. And yeah, M- M- Macy's great in that movie. Steve Buscemi, everyone. Buscemi comes up in a lot of their films. I don't know. B- Buscemi, uh, yeah, he's in Miller's Crossing too in a smaller role. Obviously, he's in Big Lebowski, everything. Uh, he's like one actor that's in a lot of different filmmakers. Like he's also in like every Adam Sandler movie. I feel like he's like he has a couple of different guys where he's in like every one of their movies. Yeah, yeah. More so than I can think of any other character actor. It's kind of he realized it's set there with a multiple uh, different people. But that's also the type of kind of character he usually plays is also fits well within their world because he can. He's usually like uh, 
again, like an eccentric guy or like a, a squirrely guy or whatever it is, but like it fits well within the, the characters that I tap. Yeah, I mean, he uses that face to his great advantage. Also, he's very talented. Yeah, no, he's a great actor. Um, so yeah, Fargo was, in 96 was probably their biggest critical hit at that point and kind of a cultural thing. And then Big Lebowski came out in 1998. I feel like at the time it, I mean, I don't really remember from being 10 years old, but I feel like at the time it wasn't like, it didn't ha- get the love that Fargo got critically or from fans right away or, or moviegoers right away. Didn't make a ton of money. But now in hindsight, like years later, I feel like it's maybe their most influential movie in terms of like the culture, at least like people quote it the most or yeah, talk about, you know what I mean? And I don't even think it's, uh, I haven't rewatched that one in a while either, but, and I do like it, but I don't think it's in their top five to me. I, I don't know if I have a top five off dome. We can maybe do that later. I mean, I don't know if I do either. It's, it's pretty tough. Yeah. I do think that the Big Lebowski, like despite being the only thing that any man wanted to talk to you about, uh, between the year 2002 and maybe 2013. <laughs> Long span. It was really, it, it is really good. And it is one of their movies with like the most heart. Interesting. It It is one of their least cynical works, I think. Despite the whole nihilism, nothing matters, etc. Interesting. One of their least cynical, you think? I think so. I think it has like a coherent worldview that isn't just like eventually you are going to die. Well, that's the thing. They are they do do a lot of nihilistic stuff as well, which I kind of I like that. <laughs> Depending on how it's pitched, I like nihilism in, in movies. Um, again, depending on how it goes, I like it when it's interesting. Yeah, we'll get to a serious man in a bit, but um, I guess isn't like Flea one of the the uh, or is it? It's someone from Red Hot Chili Peppers is like one of the plays one of the nihilists in Big Lebowski, right? I think you're right. I don't I don't know this bit of trivia, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, there that whole element of them is funny in the movie and like about the rug and everything. John Turturro, he's in a ton of their movies, also. He the Jesus, he's a good part. To me, I feel like Lebowski is more. It has good a lot of good set pieces and performances, but there's some spots of it where I, I don't know how good it is start to finish in my memory at least mm, interesting i do like the scene with the kenny it's weird kenny rogers had this song that's like a that's like a psychedelic song that's in the movie if you remember barely yeah i just i dropped in to see what condition my condition is and it's called which is funny because like kenny rogers is like mostly known for kind of like straight down the line like the gambler songs and like straight down the line country songs but and that one part in Big Lebowski, they play his song from the 60s. It's like a, a psychedelic song. And look that one up again, people. Uh, listen to that. It's interesting. I woke up this morning with the sun down shining in. I found my mind in a brown paper bag. But then I tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition my condition was in. 
Yeah, I don't know why. I guess it's based on um, kind of film noir a little bit, which is a genre I'm, I'm a fan of. But noir doesn't, and it's kind of like a parody at a certain point of film noir as well. But yeah, I mean, it's biting at that whole thing where like you get like twist after twist, and it starts not to make sense, and it turns out the direction you were headed were was you were headed was nowhere. Yeah, yeah, nothing really. Yeah, ever. and and a lot of those noir films like that, which is basing on your like you said a lot of it uh it, it nothing ever connects or whatever yeah but uh a lot of red herrings everything i think maybe it just got too a little too overrated for me i'm not i'm not sure but i do need to watch it again and i know that the actor that plays lebowski the the other one you know the rich guy or whatever i i saw he died like in the past year or two i remember they did like obituaries for that actor and stuff like, wait who is that he's not even like a famous actor i don't think i just remember when he died, died people kept saying like uh i saw a bunch of things online or whatever like lebowski dies or whatever oh okay. <laughs> i don't know why i haven't brought it up i just thought of it um but anyway going back to their filmography here they then did oh brother where art thou in 2000 which another one i didn't love i would say but that i haven't seen that one in a really long time um, i think it's pretty good i i think okay. it's a little cloying in a way that like the the southern person in me isn't ready to accept one thing you will not do is tell me about the american south uh it, during any period if you're not from there but i did like it, it, it it's good okay uh yeah again i don't remember that one well enough to comment too much i remember it's about kind of like the odyssey right it, go, it follows that kind of plot line yeah i mean it's basically george clooney doing the odyssey um, but in 1920. Yeah, Clooney, another guy that works with them a lot. Recently, he directed a film that they wrote. I think it's something they wrote years ago that starred Matt Damon called Suburbicon, I believe. I'd, I didn't see it, but the, yeah, yeah. the trailer for it looked just atrocious to me. So I don't know if it really was or not. But yeah, Clooney works with them a lot. Two movies later, he's with them. Two and three movies. Or no, just two movies later, yeah. Intolerable Cruelty, 2003. One of their best. Which is like kind of a lightweight comedy. Are you being sarcastic about that? <laughs> yeah, I don't remember much about it, but uh, it is not one of the more beloved works of theirs. It's definitely one of the least. I remember when I saw it, I was like, I thought it was fine, I guess, though. It was kind of like supposed to be a screwball comedy, I guess. But in between those two Clooney ones, The Man Who Wasn't There, which is shot in black and white, starring Billy Bob Thornton. I remember liking this one quite a bit. What do you, what's your thought on that one? I don't remember it enough to have like a cogent opinion about it. Uh, the broader themes are what I remember. And just like the the larger beats of commits a crime, doesn't get caught, gets picked up for a crime he didn't commit, which like they're exactly aping in the second um, chapter of Buster Scruggs, which is one of the we'll we'll, we'll get there. Um, but like when it was Billy Bob Thornton, I liked it. Oh, interesting. Like I remember liking it. And the thing with him is just like there's always something interesting going on with the camera that you can yeah. grab onto. So, like, even, like, the boring shit, like, I don't know if the dialogue in that movie was exceptional. I don't remember it that well. I just remember feeling good about the camera work. Yeah, I know. I know. And the way it was shot in black and white, too, I get to look at. If I remember right, I, I think it kind of has a little bit of a similar vibe to Fargo. Even more, even more serious, kind of. Yeah, the thing about their, their in the last uh, 20 years or so is that it all kind of has a similar vibe to Fargo. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of just kind of what their their vibe is in general. I guess it's more of the plot line is more similar than the vibe necessarily in, in The Man Who Wasn't There. But also that... that um, Are you going to say that it's then poetic that Billy Bob Thornton plays a murderer in Fargo the television show directed by Noah Hawley? 
aces. <laughs> yeah. Good show. But no, oh, it was two things I was going to say. I didn't think of what you, uh, your point about um, that one. You're talking about the James Franco Buster Scruggs one, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess that, I didn't think of that, but I think it's because it's so, that one was played very comedically, and this one doesn't have much comedy in it, um, the man who wasn't there. That's right. And, but also it stars um, Francis McDormand, which is one of the, one of the Coen's wives, I don't remember which one, but um, Joel or Ethan, but, I think Joel, but um, she's uh, obviously in a ton of their movies, I assume that's where they met, she was in, she starred in Blood Simple as well, their first film. Also, I just want to backtrack and say a first-rate actress in her own right. Yes. And, oh, yeah, we you did mention how, that she won, right, for Fargo. She has a very kind of, speaking of, uh, uh, I don't know what I was going to say, speaking of nothing, but uh, she has a very, well, I'm trying to think of the right word to describe her kind of acting style, but, I mean, now, she also won the last year, right, for, um, what what's it called now? I think you hadn't seen this movie by the time we did our Oscar podcast last I still have not seen Three Billboards, but I know what you're talking about. Three Billboards, that's right. It's that like, she just keeps playing Cohen characters in other people's films. Yeah, well, in this one in Three Billboards, she's a little over the top with it. Like, I th- and I think some of her performances in more recent movies, she's like really leaning into what she does. Yeah, of all people to get typecast, someone with that level of talent, it kind of annoys me. But go on. Sorry. But yeah, but some in some of these older movies, the uh, these Cohen ones, uh, I think it's it works a little better and more natural she just she has kind of that at it like she can be very serious like sardonic at the same time she plays someone well that you you think is capable i guess is what i'm trying to say like it doesn't you buy it completely usually with her performances yeah there's like a kinetic aspect to what she does with the character like at any moment like they will burst and like do something nuts but they never do yeah oh and there's i'm looking i'm just looking at this the uh cast list for this for the man who wasn't there right now. And this, it's crazy. I mean, uh, I don't even remember Scarlett Johansson being in this. Yeah, holy shit, Mariah Carey was in this? Mariah Carey? Wait, what? All right, I was just making sure you were paying attention. Oh, you're right. I, I did have this, the cast list for Glitter up right now. Duh. No, a uh, man who wasn't there. I don't remember Scarlett Johansson being in it. I guess she wasn't as, probably when I saw this, she wasn't as well known. Or very old. Yeah, no, she couldn't have been that old, I guess, yeah. This was probably still during her Woody Allen phase, I would imagine. I think it would be before that, even, by... 2001, maybe so. Yeah, um, Richard Jenkins is in it. I don't remember him being in it either, but um, also, he, he's got more on my on my radar since this since I saw this, probably. Um, he wasn't as beloved as an actor back then. But the late, great James Gandolfini's in it. I mean, he's one of the main characters. Oh, king. And uh, also late great uh, John Polito, who's in a ton of Coen Brothers movies. Do you know who that is? Wait, no. Who's John Polito? Well, he's he has a big, pretty big role in Miller's Crossing, which you'll see. But uh, he uh, yeah, yeah. he gives a little bit of a Danny DeVito-ish vibe. I guess that's the easiest way to describe him. But he, but he's a really great actor. He's he's like a short Italian kind of guy, balding. That's Danny DeVito. That's Danny DeVito all over. A little bit, but it's not. Uh, I don't know. He's he's really good though. Um, I, I'm trying to think of what other Coen Brothers or, or movies in general is in. I, I guarantee if you saw him on screen, you would recognize him right away. And I'm sick of a high hat! Sure. But uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I didn't even necessarily mean to spend that much time on this one. But yeah, it's another one to rewatch. Honestly, I kind of want to. Thinking about doing this podcast in itself, I, I almost want to start just a complete Coen Brothers podcast and go like do an episode on each 
movie that they they have because I think I think I could talk about each one if I rewatched it for like 45 minutes at least probably that's the thing they're 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 a lot of their movies are very good and the ones that are bad are or the ones that are disappointing are disappointing in really discussable ways yeah and even just talking about the different casts and them i'm sure yeah you get a lot but that's a lot that would be a lot to take on so i don't know if i'm gonna do that but uh we'll, we'll see i do recognize john polito by the way and i'm sick of a high hat going down the line also like cinematography roger deegan's music by carter burl burwell um i definitely saw his name on buster scruggs i don't remember about the, the cinematography for the, their newest films but um those are two guys that work with them a ton i know so kind of their guys yeah i mean those carter burwell scores are borderline iconic all right but anyway going back i'll just finish up the list here yeah so intolerable cruelty was after that Back-to-back years, then, The Lady Killers. That's probably their most heavily panned film. Yeah. Uh, Tom Hanks. It's a, it's a remake of a film, a Michael Caine, not Michael Caine, of a, what's his, Alec Guinness film um, from the 60s. How did you get Michael Caine and Alec Guinness confused? I I don't know, just British actors that work a ton. I don't, I don't, I don't really know how. Yeah, they were all in Harry Potter, it's fine. <laughs> I'm pretty sure uh, Alec Guinness <laughs> was not in Harry Potter. I think he died. Uh, over 10 years before the first one came out. But anyway... Who's to say? Yeah, no, we'll, we we couldn't possibly look that one up. I saw the original recently. I, I was curious to watch it. And honestly, that one wasn't that good either. So it's kind of weird. I, I think The Lady Killers is a pretty decent idea. Like the idea, or, you know, the plot kind of is, in both films, is the robbers try to get in. They they use, like, an old lady's house to tunnel somewhere and to, to steal money. Um, and they have to pretend to be a band and stuff like that. So it's it's an interesting concept. I mean, it's a concept that seems like it would work, but yeah, it's the Coen Brothers one isn't isn't really very good either. Even though it also has a pretty good cast. So uh, yeah, uh, it's just not a great idea. Like a streetcar named. So you think it's not a good idea? Slimy. Yeah, a, a streetcar named Slimy Charm is just not a great idea for a movie. What I remember from that movie is it had no energy and like I wasn't a film dude, and I'm not currently a film dude i just like watching movies i was very bored by that movie yeah i and it is probably one of their i don't know if, what their motivation was for even doing this remake in the first place but it definitely had a lot less of their kind of technique than most of the other films maybe they were just tired of making like depressing shit yeah well i mean like i did say it came the year the direct year after intolerable cruelty which again is a kind of like a screwball comedy so they did they got into comedy a little bit in this era. Honestly, Man Who Wasn't There is their only... is kind of sandwiched in between more comedic movies. I still have, I, Big Lebowski and No Brother are... Okay, but O Brother Where Art Thou is depressing. It is, okay. In the same way that the Odyssey is depressing, when you think about like how long the time in the real world is between these chapters. Again, going back to O Brother Where Art Thou, I just don't remember that one well enough. Yeah, I mean, it's like his family has moved on without him while he was in prison, and then like they flood the town where he was trying to go get the... I forget what it was, but the MacGuffin for the film. Pocket Watch? I don't remember. I don't care. Go on. I feel like the most influential thing from that movie is that song, uh, that the, whatever, the Blind Boys of Alabama or whatever in real life sings it. The I Am a Man of Constant Sorrow song. I feel like that's what... Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, I, I'm from the American South. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, you mentioned it a couple times, yeah. It was extremely popular for like six years, and I resented the, the song and the film and the Coen Brothers for a while after. Because <laughs> I don't like it. I don't think it's very good. 
Um, country music is judged on its own standard, but I didn't like it. I don't even know if that's country. I mean, I think it's kind of more. What would it be considered? Not uh, blues, I guess, or uh, folk music from that region is just country music. Folk, yeah, folk blues, I guess. I didn't mention Oh Brother. Also, stars uh, Buster Scruggs himself. Uh, what's the guy's the actor's name? Uh, His name is We Thought You Was a Toad. <laughs> I, he's a good actor. He's a, he's another. Uh, he's a guy that's a character actor and a ton of ton of stuff as well. Yeah, they've got kind of a troupe. Yeah, but he but I've seen this guy in a bunch of stuff, not just Coen Brothers movies. Let me. Oh, Tim Blake Nelson is the man's name. And, and yeah, I think he's good. Yeah, I think he's good in that. I think he's good in Buster Scruggs. Um, mm-hmm. He is not my problem with that film. Okay, we'll get we're getting to it. We're pushing on to it. I'm going through the list here. So after Lady Killers, they had a three year break. Which, yeah, that, maybe they're back in the lab, kind of rethinking things. They released No Country for Old Men in 2007. I think that one did win Best Picture, right? If I recall. Yes, because no Paul Thomas Anderson movie has ever won Best Picture. And that was the contender. Did it go up against... Yeah, yeah, it, it went up against uh, There Will Be Blood. Shout out to my Bojack Horseman heads, but go on. Yeah, both good films, that and There Will Be Blood. And I guess if you're bringing up P.T. Anderson, he is he is set in the same breath sometimes as the Coen brothers. It's kind of like super... His, his films in the past 20 years or whatever have been kind of been at the top of critical acclaim sort of thing. First of all, Paul Thomas Anderson is our best working director. Uh, he's been less prolific. He, yeah, much less. Uh, he's a more like an every three, four years mm-hmm. guy, but he never misses. Well... Unless, like, you didn't like Inherent Vice and I can't do anything for you about that. I didn't really like that one, but that, that one has... Uh, if we're talking that for a real quick aside... That one went too far up its ass with, with the noir element, I would say. like It was based on a Thomas Pinchon novel, though, my guy. Yeah, well, I don't, you know, listen, I'm a movie a guy, film guy, not a, not a novel reader, all right? Yeah, yeah, I understand. It was difficult to follow in a way that it was ostentatious and obnoxious. A little bit. I do remember liking um, uh, My Man from Hail Caesar, which is coming up on the filmography toward the end. Uh, what's his name there? Uh, Ray Fiennes? No, no, uh, I don't think he was in Inherent Vice, was, was no. he? I'm talking about... Uh, Benicio Del Toro? Kind of the... No, the antagonist to Joaquin Phoenix in that movie. Ethan Hawke? The cop, was it? God damn it, not, I'm blanking so hard right now. Is that not Ethan Hawke? No, no, no. Oh, god damn it, I know who you're talking about, and I always fucking confuse him. Josh it's Brolin, Josh, Josh Brolin. Brolin. Who's, who's the star of... Uh, uh, of No Country for Old Men, which I don't know why I didn't realize that just now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. It's always it's Josh Brolin, and I always call him Ethan Hawke. Shout out to Josh Brolin. I love you. Yeah. Not very similar types, in my opinion, so that's kind of weird to me. But anyway. Um, Please spare me Thanos. So, yeah, Ethan Hawke does not play Thanos. Uh, he's not in Deadpool. But no, so yeah, we're not in No Country for Old Men anyway, so that was the, the obvious pull in that Hail Caesar, but... But uh, that had what? What's his name? Kind of stole the movie. Um, got the most acclaim, right? Uh, the villain um, Anton Chigurh is the character's name. Wow, I'm doing bad on names today, which is not good for this podcast. I'm just gonna let you dangle because I've been drinking and I can't remember this man's name either. You drinking, Eric? Well, I don't believe it. That's weird. He plays a lot of Javier Bardem. Is his name, by the way? Javier Bardem was another great actor. Yeah, I think a fucking fantastic actor. Absolutely. Did he win Best Supporting Actor for that role? Um, let me see. I think he might have. And, uh, yeah, he kind of stole the movie, like I said. Yeah. That his kind of weapon is super iconic, that cow killer thing. 
Um, and I, again, like I said, I liked, I liked this and, uh, there will be blood that year. Yeah. I mean like two of the greatest films in the entire American canon released in the same year and vying against each other for an Oscar. And some similar themes in the films. So you think this is one, a, a great film that no country for old men. It is not maybe one of my three favorite Cohen films, uh, but it is definitely one of my 20 favorite movies and one of the best movies I've ever seen. It is it's just like objectively very fucking good. Okay, so you you have more than 3 Cohen movies in your top 20 of all-time films then by that logic. Uh I think I do. And I'm just saying favorite not like top, but yeah. Uh, there's a distinction between your favorite and what you consider like the best from like a what a critical perspective or, okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, of course. Of course. Um also Javier Bardem did win best supporting actor. All right, yeah. And and the No Country probably one of their more and with the nihilism theme this this one probably takes it some of the furthest of any of their films, I would say. Yeah, and I don't know if it gets a pass because it was the first time that I encountered it, and also because it was based on a novel by somebody else and they didn't write that screenplay. But, like, there was obviously a reason they were drawn to it. I think that this movie is brilliant and, like, beautiful in a very, like, disturbing way. I, I come back to it all the time, specifically Javier Bardem's uh, performance, but also all of the other characters, like, as they're about to be murdered, the way that the camera... Uh, I'm stepping on my Buster Scruggs point, but um, the way that the camera loves those people as they're about to die is really important to that film. Uh, but ironically, you don't see the main character's death, uh, uh, Josh Brolin. That was a big thing people talked about in that ladder. I remember you don't see him dead. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great choice. Yeah, I, I do the, too. These guys are very good directors. Yeah, because in the, in the book it's based on, I assume that wasn't part of it. You know, that I don't think that would really work for a novel. They also rewrote the last scene between, I think, his wife and Anton Sugar. Okay, that wouldn't be the last scene of the film itself, is it? No, no. That's, that is Tommy Lee Jones and his guy. And that's kind of like, I guess Tommy Lee Jones in that film is like kind of like the audience surrogate a little bit. And talking about how... Yeah, I think the camera's kind of the audience surrogate, but I hear what you're saying. Well, well especially this kind of speech at the end, if I remember it exactly, it's kind of like about... There, you could keep running after or trying to catch up to the evil or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. You never, you'll never be able to kind of thing. Isn't that kind of the gist? And that's kind of like the the nihilistic view of the world that it's there's no way to get get around anything. Yeah, you can't stop what's coming. Yeah. Um, so anyway, after that, uh, on the list here, probably gonna be my least favorite Coen Brothers film. I want to say, which is Burn After Reading, just a year later, two thousand nine. Actually, they went on a run of forty years in a row here, starting with No Country. Burn After Reading, kind of a dark comedy. Don't I remember? I only saw this the one time around when it came out. Did not like it. Really? What do you do? You remember anything about this one? Yeah. Yeah, I like Burn After Reading. I think that it is good. Okay. Uh, I will never forget the first time that I saw the closet door open and Brad Pitt smile that stupid fucking goofy smile and get his brains blown the fuck out. I, I will also always remember Jane Lynch's performance in this movie. Yeah, does she work at the gym? That Brad yeah, Pitt works yeah. at right. They're coworkers. Part of my disappointment with this film, I think, has to do with my anticipation of it because i i again it was the year after no country which i had loved and i remember from seeing the previews i thought it looked really funny and then when i actually watched the film i didn't really find it that funny. i mean it's kind of it's not really a comedy it's like fargo with some funny notes see i don't i disagree i think i think this is pitched as a comedy i think that's the main thing they want to get out of this film so that's why i thought it didn't work as much dark comedy again but 
which a lot of this stuff is. Yeah, yeah. But, and, and like, the scene with, like, or the whole element of George Clooney, like, you think he's making this, like, or they think he's making this top secret device, whatever it is, invention, and it's, like, some type of dildo thing, right, that you, like, yeah. pedal with your feet. That's kind of, like, the big bit of the the movie, like, which is kind of funny, but at the same time, it, it's kind of, like, emblematic of how there's just, like, to me, there's just nothing there with the film. Well, and I kind of... Maybe that's the point, but... One of the reasons that I stumped for this film is that that is kind of the point. Uh, this film was a product of the end of the Bush era. Like, it was being written and recorded, like, during his last term. It's not called recording when, it, when it's a film, by the way. The weight <laughs> filmed... Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a podcast. All mediums are podcasts now. Yeah, podcast right. is punk rock. That's right. Yeah, so... In that way, the way that it becomes a metaphor for the absolute, like, just abject inanity of what the United States government think that it, thinks that it's doing versus what it's doing in the world, and how the incompetence of the people in that administration just, like, absolutely have doomed the rest of us. I mean, this comes right before the, the collapse, which is, like... It did not create, and we cannot give the Coen brothers credit for, you know, the natural disaster level stock market collapse that happened. But just the the, incomp- the institutional incompetence and the way that it depicts that versus, like, normal people's lives is just, like, it deserves a second look from you. All right, maybe I'll give it, I, I should give it another look, because we're going to get to, well, next on the list is a serious man. I want to skip it for now and, and talk about it after Buster Scruggs, but in a little more detail. We did just both watch this movie, and um, I just watched it for the first time. I, I'm only bringing it up at this point to say, because it is next, it came out in 2009, a year after, and to say that, again, that's when I also didn't like when I initially saw it, and I saw I should probably give it a rewatch. But with Burn After Reading, when when is the last time you saw that? How recent? Maybe 2013. Okay, so it d- did it hold up at that point in terms of, like, of the points you're just making about what it's kind of about... It's kind of a, a satire, what I guess, would you call that a satire or a commentary on the, the end of the Bush era? Like, does that hold up at this point, 10 years later? Yes, is the thing. I don't know to what extent we have to hold artists accountable for, like, being, specifically filmmakers, uh, accountable for, like, being the voices of their time for all history. But just the, like, their competence as filmmakers stepping back, like, causing me to step back in 2013 after Barack Obama had won his second term. Uh, the only war criminal I've ever loved. It did remind me of just, like, the absolute abject hopelessness and inanity that I felt during, like, the end of the Bush administration. I, I think that it is effective for that reason, if not purposely, I will say. I just don't know if, if films like that always hold up or if making a whole film based kind of on that is good in the first place because of that reason. I mean, you say it's it's not up to the filmmaker to be accountable for that, but, I mean, they, it is something that's, like, a... Every film is a historical document to some extent, and I, I want it to be entertaining or have a message for me as well, at the very least, which I just don't remember this one having. But sure, sure. Anyway, I think the main thing is I just didn't. I, I think I just my hopes were too high for it, and I was, and I've been disappointed with films before because of that sort of thing. So yeah, Serious Man, two thousand nine. Yeah, we'll get to it in a minute. But True Grit, two thousand ten. Then another remake. Much more successful remake than Lady Killers. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Bridges, I do kind of feel like got stuck in this kind of character since then. I feel like he, anytime I see him now, even in like giving an interview in real life, he kind of acts like this, the character in this film that he plays. But um, like a, the crusty kind of cowboy guy. Right? Which I think but, might just always have been in Jeff Bridges. Yeah, it could be a yeah. character. 
I like Matt Damon in this movie. I I like the uh, the child. Uh, what is her name? Haley Haley Steinfeld, Steinfeld. Which is yes. this kind of put her on the map. She's good in it. Really good. Yeah. Best part, I would say. The author of this novel is from Central Arkansas, and oh, really, or Northwest Arkansas. Is there a huge difference between the two? Arkansas is large. The thing about the thing about people from the coast. Well, California, we we love you. We get it. Um, the thing about people from the coast, from the East Coast, is that, like, all other states are much larger than you think they are. I, I guess I didn't really mean, like, I know that there's a, a north, there's a central part of any state, no matter how small or big it is. I mean, just culturally, is it that much different? Or whatever, like, what's the... Oh, culturally, yeah, no, probably <laughs> or not. Any, any other way, I guess. Never mind, I, I, I was just, uh... Well, at the time when it took two days by wagon instead of two hours by car. Yes? Did, the, did True get take place in arkansas i don't remember that yes either. so Haley steinfeld's character is from yell county near fort smith uh home of the famous hanging judge famous in southern lore anyway okay just a real piece of shit who would hang absolutely anybody who actually that character doesn't make his presence known i don't know what i'm trying to say um in buster scruggs but we do have that like judge in the second um second one of those chapters who's like oh good enough hang him uh, yeah, but she's from Fort Smith, and the majority of the movie and novel are spent in Oklahoma. Okay, yeah. This is a Western, obviously. I believe John Wayne played the original character. That's correct. But in general, the Coens really love their Westerns, I would say. Obviously, Buster Scruggs is all about that. But And I think part of the reason is also because... Well, there, there's two reasons, I think, that the Coens work in Westerns a lot one is the violence issue, like, that t- period of time, it's more believable that people are going to be shooting off guns, everything, there's going to be <laughs> yeah. sudden kind of bursts of violence. The other one is the way they talk. Like, I kind of mentioned before that they, their characters often speak a certain way that's not exactly realistic, but it, it's still fun, kind of. And it, it works a little better in certain period settings, I think. Yeah, yeah, they love a period piece because I, I believe that they've correctly identified that the dialogue that they like to write does not work in modern parlance. Like, it just doesn't work with the slang that we've been using for the last 30 years, and they need to write movies from 1980 backward. Yeah, and actually, looking onwards, here, actually, every movie they've done has been a period piece since Burn After Reading, which is which is which was modern time, right? Um, 2000s yeah um yeah I, I feel like i'm right about that people don't talk the way that they write dialogue no i think you are yeah. but people like we have no way of knowing first of all and uh, second it's like a very like theater kid thing to set these things in the past because like they know that the dialogue that they write sounds great the way that they write it because they're obviously brilliant yeah they're very smart smart writing yeah and they know when to set their fucking movies, yeah. And like you said, you said we, we wouldn't know if they talked that way or not. I don't think that really even matters. Like, it's just, like, it's about what you believe when you, like, sit down to watch a, a film. Like, if you'll go on the, the journey or not, right? Yeah, absolutely. So then, 2013, Inside Lewin Davis, which is takes place in the early 60s, I believe, right? Kind of the, the folk Greenwich Village setting. Right before John, uh, Dil- Bob Dylan, excuse me, became famous. Yeah, yeah, kind of pre-Dylan Beatles, yeah. Yes, this is one of my ten favorite movies of all time. Really? Okay. So this one, I I remember liking it. I don't, it, I didn't put it up there with my favorites from the Collins. It, it did kind of introduce me to Oscar Isaac, I think, who's a great actor. Now he's in everything, but... Same, same. At the time when this came out, yeah, I didn't really know who he was. I, I think this is his biggest role to date. 
at the time. Uh, well, he did Ex Machina, and now he's been in a bit. Oh, to date, at the time, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, at the time, it was his biggest. Yeah. So, but anyway, it's. I like the music in this a lot. It's probably some of the best music they've have have in, in a film. Yeah, including Please, Mr. Kennedy. That one's good. Yeah, the Justin Timberlake and Adam Driver was in everything now too. He's an earlier role for him. Yeah, Outer Space. Yeah, that. But that's probably my favorite scene in the movie. I would say. If, from my recollection, at least. Um, really? I think because... The, the, the comedy bits. Yeah, and yeah, the comedy is like, who, wait, who wrote this or whatever? It's like, Justin Timberlake's like, oh, I did or whatever. And then doesn't he also not, like, take the money? He offers him, like, a piece of it, but he just wants the money now or something. Type yeah, of yeah, very tragically, he overestimates his own, like, ability to make it as an artist. Sorry, you can hear my cat in the background. Mm-hmm. Apropos, we're talking about uh, Inside Lewin Davis. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the cat, right, yeah. Escapes or whatever, or gets lost. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't take the money uh, because, that like, he believes in himself as a solo artist. Uh, poetically, and, like, other podcasts have, have mentioned this. Like, I'm not the first person to do this. Other, like, articles or whatever. It is the fact that he believes too much in himself as a solo artist that keeps him from making a living at doing the thing that he loves. Which I think is a human tragedy that we can kind of all get behind. Yeah, well, first of all, other podcasts. I thought other podcasts was in a competing NFL show. I didn't know they talk movies too. Well, they're stepping all over our territory here. Other podcasts is versatile as we are. Well, I don't, I don't like that at all. But anyway, you're saying like, I think maybe you relate to the character a little more. I don't know. I mean, because I, I sometimes get frustrated with characters like how us, like Lewin Davis is in this film. Well, you're supposed to be frustrated by him. He's not a, like a great dude. Well, I know, but no, no, he's definitely not. And, and I know, I know you're supposed to, but I just sometimes it's harder. It's harder to enjoy the enjoy a movie for me, like if that's the case. Yeah, yeah. That one has a little more of a melancholy vibe. I feel like, which is might be why you why you enjoy it as well. If I had to guess, I'm a bit of a melancholy guy. There's the scene where like he finally plays the. Uh... He's at that dinner party, it's in the second act, and he finally plays that song uh, that he recorded with his deceased songwriting partner um, at the dinner party, and the wife starts to sing along, and he's just an absolute dick about it, because it's not how it's supposed to be, and she starts crying, and he feels like an absolute asshole, but he can't do anything but leave. Little things like that make movies, and this is a great fucking movie. Yeah, are those the the couple he kind of just mooshes off or lives with, and then he goes back at them and lives with them again, and they still take it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're, like, interested in, because he's an artist or whatever, they think it's cool, yeah. Being adjacent to art in the same way that he is, yeah. Because he's, like, an authentic, whatever, crunch village artist. Yeah, like all bourgeoisie, they're interested in being observed, being adjacent to art, which is, a, in a way, what Lewin Davis is doing, uh, he's just living a more authentic artist's struggle while doing that. Yeah. I think he he really is, like, a character that believes he is, like, an artist, even whether he's ever gets success or he's actually talented or not. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I really love this movie. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, sh- I mean, it's a repeating phrase, like, I should rewatch it, but I should rewatch all of them. I should do... A Coen Brothers cast on, on each film, I think. The Coen Zoan, maybe? Is that a good name? I don't know. <laughs> Might be a little too close to Don't Mess with the Zohan. Don't Mess with the Coens. Also one of my ten favorite films of all time. Oh, oh boy. Well, let's move on. So then up is Hail Caesar 2016. I feel like this movie kind of got ignored by critics or wasn't liked that much. And I didn't see it right away when it came out. Maybe I saw it 
like I probably saw it last year, like in 2017, it came out in 16, probably a year after it came out. And it wasn't like something I was too excited to see either, but I I actually like this one. Yeah, I like it a lot. It's very good, and it's in direct conversation with Barton Fink in a way that makes me wish that I knew more about Barton Fink. It's really good, and I will... You, you have or have not seen Barton Fink? I'm certain as a child I saw Barton Fink, not as a sentient human being. I will never, getting back to Hail Caesar, I will never stop hearing Rafe Fiennes just do the whiplash thing where he will not let this thing go on. Would that it were so simple. Would that it were so simple. Yeah, that was one of the best scenes in, in the film. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm trying to think of why it wasn't liked that much by critics or whatever. I mean, it's pretty light, I guess. I think the performances are all good, though. I mean, it's kind of episodic a little bit. Some things don't always connect. Like, the George Clooney kind of plot line with the, the communists or whatever doesn't completely connect, I guess. But And then Channing Tames with the... It does, I, I don't know. Uh, and I think Josh Brolin's good in that one, too. Yeah, it's good, and it was beloved little enough that it can be, like, our darling now. Yeah, I guess so. And the, the the scene with Channing Tatum, I'm not even like a huge fan of like, me, I don't know, musicals or whatever, but the the whole Channing Tatum scene where he's filming that is very entertaining, I think. And it seems like he really actually does like all the moves and and whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, so that one that one's like a little more, I, I, that's kind of a blend. Yeah, you mentioned like Barton Fink. It, it, it has the Hollywood themes, which is kind of like Barton Fink too, a, a different kind of way a little bit but uh, along with westerns they also do the hollywood stuff several times and it makes sense for what they know obviously exactly i feel like it's a bidding conversation with burn after reading too where it's like the absolute inanity of the project um and of the broader scope like mcguffin situation with the communists and like the government and everything that, that ruins the lives of the people involved and this is where it was the last film before buster scruggs this is where we run into the issue that I have with Buster Scruggs. So if you're ready to talk about that, I would like you to praise it because uh, I've seen it twice. I'm going to tee off on it for a little bit and then I'm going to back that up. Uh, walk that back, excuse me. And I'm sick of the hi-hat! Okay, Polito's sick of the hi-hat, but I hope you're not sick of me and young Arkansas misanthrope talking about the Coen bros because we got part two of this Movies Are Relevant podcast coming up. Should be released shortly. Hope you enjoyed this one, though, going over their broad filmography and a nice little tease at the end there from young misanthrope Eric there about his feelings on The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. In part two, we get all into the debate about it. I liked it a little more than he did. We do a little Siskel Lieber type back and forth, and we also do a little deep dive into the Coen's 2009 film A Serious Man, which Eric just watched for the first time and I just rewatched. So we talk a lot about that one as well. Please do join us back for that one next time. Do stay subscribed or get subscribed to Brooklyn Rebound Network for Movies Are Relevant episodes, our normal Misters Are Relevant, NFL-based episodes, and all the other stuff on the feed here. So we'll bid you adieu for now and then just drop back in to see what our condition is in for part two of this Coen Brothers Retrospective. Peace. I pushed my soul in a deep dark hole and then I followed it in. 
Yeah. 